0: Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. That little rendition there. If you'll stand with me tonight in the house of the Lord, last week we started We started a series uh, called Our Mission, and what this basically uh, is is the First Apostolic Church here has a mission statement for this church that uh, uh, Brother McGee Sr. years ago had compiled and felt led to the Lord to compile what the mission of this church was, and it's been some time since we have looked at this, and so I decided to take it phrase by phrase in the month of September And to uh, teach from God's word what this really meant for us as a church. And so as I said last week, as as this may be... Uh, somewhat instructional to us as a church family to revisit this and see what we said this is our mission or purpose for existing as a church here Uh, for those who uh, may be guests I hope it's something that you can say well this is how I can be benefited uh, by being a part or around here and so our first apostolic church mission statement is this to love as God loves showing compassion to every soul Thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Last week we considered the phrase, what it meant to love as God loves. And tonight we hope to look at, uh, my subject matter will be showing compassion to every soul. We're glad to have tonight, before I get started though, Tony with us. This is Candy's husband, first time I believe he's ever been here. So glad to have Tony with us tonight in the house of the Lord and our other repeating guests amen that are here with us tonight so glad to have him and I, your son was here that was your son correct Aiden is his name amen so glad uh, to have had him as well we have another Aiden running around here that's a little younger than he so it's alright we like to get people named the same name and so on and so forth amen pardon me oh he yeah, has a visitor as well amen pardon me Greg Howard amen so we're glad to have him tonight with us as well the house of the Lord. So glad to have all of you. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 17. You have to bear with me. I feel like I have a little allergy attack coming on here. Just say, Blessing Jesus, if it happens. Amen. But whoso hath this world's good and see if his brother have need, shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God? (laughs) Told you. In him. I apologize. Hallelujah. How, How dwelleth the love of God in him? Bishop, will you pray for us this evening? Jesus come to God the church say amen amen Amen. you may be seated tonight Jesus name Showing compassion to every soul. If you see my face start contorting and it looks a little weird, I might be on the verge of a sneeze, okay? Showing compassion to every, to every soul. There are mainly two things I want to focus on this evening on this particular part of our mission statement, and that is, first of all, I'd like to focus on that there is a sequel to the love we talked about last week. And the sequel to that love is Compassion. And then, secondly, I'd like to consider tonight the scope then of that love and that compassion, which in our statement is, and I believe even also biblically based, is to every, everyone say every, every soul. Last week I mentioned that the epistle of First John carried a constant theme throughout the epistle that you could not read John for too many verses, First John, Second John, and Third John for too many verses, until you came across the idea and the theme and the concept of love over and over again. And so throughout those verses, you'll see that we're constantly uh, cropping up about our love that we should have toward God and our love that we should have toward mankind. But in the verse that I read to you this evening, verse number 17, it calls for a verdict, if you will, of the genuine love of God. The love of God, we might say, is on trial here. And there is a verdict that is being given concerning, and I state this uh, specifically, the genuine love of God. It's at the witness stand, if you will, and the verdict is based upon its compassion, whether or not it is present or whether or not it is absent, giving a verdict about whether or not it is truly then the genuine love of God. It is implied then that if we were to love God, as God loves, as we read and studied last week, that then our compassion should meet a certain God standard as well. That if our love meets the God standard, then the compassion that we emulate and have should also meet the God standard as well. Because in essence, compassion is an expression of the love of God. Compassion is the love of God, I might say, in action. The book of Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, the apostle is writing to the church at Colossae, the Gentiles whose lives have been changed and renewed, they have put off the old man and they are now putting on some things. Uh, Your Christian walk with God isn't about everything that you put off, it's about some of the things that you put on. And he's telling the Gentiles as they're putting on this new man, he says in verse 12, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, which in the Greek is literally bowels of compassion, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness or the bond of maturity. I think what the apostle Paul is relaying to the church of Colossae, some of these things you put on, he speaks of kindness and he speaks of humbleness of mind and long-suffering and the, the act and the attitude of forgiveness toward one another and bearing long-suffering with one another among all of that mix is also the compassion or the bowels of compassion that we should have toward one another. But he says before all of that and above all of that, might I say, before you put any of those things on, he says you must put on charity or you should put on love because compassion is not an individual component. Compassion is not a solitary component. Compassion is just a gear that's lubricated by the oil of love. He says, so above all things, get love. Because it's from love as a byproduct of love or a sequel of love that compassion is capable of being put on in your lives. Throughout the Bible, there are various words used for compassion or translated as compassion. Some of their meanings are these. To love, that is compassion. To pity or be merciful. To spare, to have the bowels yearning, to suffer with another is to have compassion. Who can bear gently with, that is the idea of compassion, to show kindness, and we could go on and on concerning the meanings of the words that are translated compassion. But one thing is for certain, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, and particularly in the book of Psalms, the psalmist David tells us on many occasions, and he speaks about God, and whenever he talks about God, he's not talking about God every once in a while being compassionate. He's not talking about a God that whenever it's convenient is compassionate. He speaks of a God that is full of compassion. A God that has a surplus, if you will, of compassion. Insomuch that in the New Testament scripture, God incarnate as Jesus Christ was so often moved, the Bible says. We read through the Gospels. It's always coming up that Jesus Christ is moved with compassion for various reasons. In the Gospels, we read where uh, the people were faint and he was moved with compassion. They were scattered abroad as a, as a flock of sheep that had no shepherd and he was moved with compassion. Many of them were sick and diseased and he was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion because some had been around him while he taught them the scriptures for three days and they were becoming hungry and he was moved with compassion as a result of that. The blind people, the Bible says he was moved with compassion and he healed them. The leper, and there are no no known leper except the time of Naaman in the Old Testament that had been cleansed of leprosy. The lepers were there, and he was moved with compassion, and he cleansed them, and he healed them. Those that were untaught and unlearned, he was moved with compassion, and he taught them. And it's through all these various episodes where Christ was moved with compassion that it all boils down to this that I can glean from and learn is that he was moved with compassion whenever there was a need. He was moved by compassion whenever he sensed a need. And not only, though, did he just sense a need or empathize where, where a person was or what their state of life was or the sickness that they had or them being unlearned and untaught, he didn't just empathize with them, but he had a strong desire. Compassion was more than just recognizing a need. It was having a strong desire, if possible, to correct whatever the need was, to alleviate the need. And so as the first apostolic church, when we say we love as God loves, but showing compassion, we're saying there are things when people come in the back doors that may be going on in their life that we recognize and we empathize with that. But even greater than that, it moves us to the place of a desire to help or to aid or to undergird in some way, if possible, to alleviate the need that they are having in their life. Someone say glory. Because we all, at some point in time, enter this building needy. That doesn't frustrate God. He likes needy people. He likes to be needed. The problem he has is the people that walk in and say they don't need anything. That they got this thing sewn up and they got it taken care of. God is drawn toward the needy. He's drawn toward the down and out and those that are in need of something because he is driven by compassion to help and offer what is necessary. And so likewise, I hope as a church, we state our purpose and our mission then is to show compassion to every soul, that we are driven by the same, that we see needs, we recognize needs, and it's just not identifying them, but hopefully in some way, what can I do to help you What can I do to help alleviate the need that you may have in your life? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 10 and verse 33, a very good story, parable that is, that that illustrates this whole concept and idea of compassion. The Bible says, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. This is nonetheless but the story of the good Samaritan as we may know it from childhood up. Amen. A man that fell among thieves. Amen. Between Jericho and between Jerusalem, he fell among thieves. He's laying on the ground, uh, blood ridden perhaps on the ground. There have been already a couple of people pass by. The Levites pass by. The priest has passed by. And the Bible tells us that whenever the priest saw him, saw this person in need that when the priest saw him that he passed by. Now, no doubt looking upon him, he could recognize a need, and, but he went on. That's not compassion. Compassion does more than recognizing the need. The Bible says the Levite came. The Bible says that he looked on him. Looking is a little bit more contemplation. Maybe stood there and pondered it for a moment. This guy's really in it. That's really blood coming from his body. He's, he's really been taken advantage of, contemplated maybe in the mind. Should I or should I not help? Should I or should I not aid? But he must have come to a conclusion because the Bible says he passed by as well. But the scripture says when the Samaritan came, It wasn't at distance. It wasn't standing there in the contemplation type mode. But he came where the man was. He got right down where the need was at. He got right down where the need was at whenever he looked upon him and considered him and seen that he was in need. He was moved. The Bible says he had compassion on this man. He didn't pass by on the other side, but he moved toward the injured man because in order to love people and have compassion toward people, you gotta move toward people. So here's the thing. If someone says, I have compassion... Then ask them this, what are they doing? Because compassionate people are people of action. Compassionate people are people that does some moving toward whenever there is a need. In this parable, the Samaritan had compassion. When we see what the Samaritan had did, the Bible says in verse 34, he has compassion. Now this is a result or a continuation, if you will, of his compassion. The Bible says that he went to him. To who? The man that was in need. Bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. set him on his own beast. Brought him to the inn and took care of him. Look at this. Verse 35, And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, Take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. His compassion did not stop with just recognizing the need. His compassion drove him to do something about the need. Now, folks, he was traveling this well-traveled road as well. He no doubt was on a journey himself, had somewhere to go, a place to be. But he paused, took time out of his schedule to put this man on his own beast while he walked, took him to a place for care. The Bible says he even cared for him evidently that night. He took care of him. He didn't didn't right away shove it off on somebody else. He said, no, this man has a need. I was the first point of contact. I'm going to pour what I can into this. No doubt needing to go on and go, though. He made sure the man was going to be taken care of. Made sure that whenever everything was said and done, if there was a bill still yet to be had, he said, hey, put it on my account. That's compassion. Compassion saying, hey, you know, we all can recognize a need. How many times have you recognized a need? Oh, let's get real for a moment. Driving down the road. There's Joe and Susie and three kids. They have a flat tire. I went by very quickly, but not so quick that I didn't recognize. There was a wife and a husband, three kids, and they had a flat tire. I recognized the need, and I'm going on. I'm going to be at the restaurant such and such time because I'm hungry. What have I done? Have I showed compassion? Not really. I've recognized the need, but compassion goes further than that. Compassion would find the next little spot in the median where I could turn around, go back to the side of the road and says, is there anything I can do to help you? Amen. No, we got it. We've already called someone. Okay, I can go on. But I still show compassion because I was willing. I wonder sometimes if we're afraid that we're going to be out something, be uncompassionate when God says I call it compassion even if you stop and check and they don't need anything else what is the heart's intent what is the heart's desire amen look at the scripture look at the scripture if you continue to consider the good Samaritan story and you remember how this whole parable started how it all started really is the lawyer came to a place that he asked the Lord he said Lord who is my neighbor and whenever he asked that question, the Lord started in this parable of the Good Samaritan story with the priest and the Levite and the Good Samaritan. And so that was Jesus' answer to his who is my neighbor question. Whenever Jesus gets to the end of his parable, he now asks the lawyer in verse number 36. He asks him, he says, Listen, which one, which one of these three Proved to be your neighbor. Who was the neighbor to the wounded man here that was in between, down on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem? Who who was the neighbor? And the lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy, amen. That word actually in the Greek is compassion. The one who showed compassion toward him. To the lawyer who was trying to figure out who my neighbor is, he says, I know who my neighbor is. It's the one that's willing to show Compassion. Now you don't show compassion by just recognizing a need. You show compassion by acting upon the need and supplying whatever is necessary, with, if it's in your power to do so, to meet the need. We said to love as God loves showing compassion. Showing Compassion. If we're going to be the church of this century, we got to show compassion, and that means more than recognizing. That means meeting some needs, getting down to where they are, letting them be on our beast, so to speak, taking care of them, footing the bill, going to the extreme to make sure the need is met. That's showing. Showing. Compassion. Have I always got it right? No, I have not. Not always got it right. Amen. That's the reason why we revisit things like this. To have course correction. Realign ourselves. This is what we need. In 1 John 3, 17, notice that that verse starts with the word but. That's a word of contrast. Contrast because there is a vivid contrast with the, G, with the example Jesus has just set in verse number 16. In verse number 16, Jesus gave us an example. And then verse number 17 shows a contrast to that example that he gave. In verse number 16, the Bible says in 1 John 3, Hereby perceive or know we the love of God. Because he laid down his life. This is how he demonstrated. This was the action that that attested to his love. He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now listen. We, we, may, we may never have the literal need or opportunity to lay down our lives, but the contrast is this in verse number 17, that Christ, driven by his love, with compassion, was willing to lay down his life for you and I, might I say, we were sinners. Huh? Isn't that what the book of Romans, Romans 5 or 8 tells us? Amen. That scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so he laid down his life for sinners people that were in opposition to his word and his character and who, what, who and what he was, but he laid down his life for us, willing to lay down his life for us, but look in verse number 17. But here is a man in contrast who has the world's good, amen, and he sees a brother in need and he shutteth up his bowels of compassion. Jesus is willing to lay down his life and here's someone that's not willing to lay down even some material goods. What a contrast. Jesus is willing to give it all for those that even hate him, mock him, those that even crucified him. And this scenario is one's not willing to lay down some of the world's good For a brother, is what the Scripture says. Someone once said that Christianity may be distinctively the religion, I hope it is, of compassion. But here is the truth of the matter. If we lose our ability to be compassionate toward mankind, then our ability in certain ways to be useful to God in the world is somewhat limited. Because you can be very passionate for the Lord and not become passionate for people. You have a deep ardent affection for the master and not have compassion, recognizing the need, meeting the need of people. And so there almost seems to be a little bit conflicting of terms or a conflict of expression because if we can be passionate toward God, why can't we become passionate? people. The Bible says this man, shut up his vows of compassion from him. The verb there, shutteth literally means to close or lock the door. It's employing a picture for you and I figuratively of one that is erecting a barrier that encloses one's sympathetic feelings and isolates them from the need of another. Just shut it all up, and I tell us tonight as church family it's important to monitor ourselves it's important to monitor ourselves and have people in our lives that can hold us accountable yeah whether it be husband, wife or friend or foe I guess hey, Amen. you need to have people in your life that can hold you accountable concerning this because we all can succumb to compassion fatigue what do you mean compassion fatigue well I told you about it a little last week and that's whenever bad things happen we feel for the people that it happened to you know I don't really feel that, that bad thing happened to him, but we don't do anything to help them feel bad for them not sending no aid though it's kind of like you know when James when he talks about hey you know there's some people that were naked be clothed well that really helps <laughs> you know they're cool be warm that doesn't do anything that may be recognizing the need but it doesn't do anything to help them if we don't watch ourselves we'll feel really bad for a situation but won't do anything to aid the situation so I'm calling that compassion fatigue and if it goes unchecked we'll eventually even stop feeling bad for a situation bad situations will come we'll get callous and we don't even feel bad for the situation not only are we not helping, but we're not feeling bad about where that. We stop empathizing with people. Whenever you get to a place where you can't walk along and feel someone else's hurts and pains, we're in deep trouble. Christ told us to rejoice when they rejoice and to mourn when they mourn. Amen. And that just to mean that this, this thing that he calls the church is, is the body of Christ. And what affects one affects all. Whenever I go out and do my hammering job on the nail and I hit the wrong nail and I hit my, my, my index finger and I cry, it's not like my little finger has a mouth on it. It's going, ah, 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 and the rest of my body's having a party. That's not the case. But we're all interconnected. And whenever we're all interconnected, whenever that happens, the rest of my body feels the effects of what's happened to the index finger. And so if there's a breakdown in that, if there's a breakdown in that, I have a problem with the filling mechanism in my body or I'm not part of the body. There's either something physically wrong with my feeling capability or I'm, that's a finger on some other body. I'm not a part of that body. And so we need, to, we need to survey the situation because to be driven by compassion to recognize and to help with the need is recognizing their need. Honey, when it's a part of the body, Okay, I'm not just talking... That, let's go a little further. I'm not just talking about the body of Christ, but let's just talk... We're all part of this same body called humanity. We're all made from the... We all... You want to trace your family tree and you'd like to get on Ancestry.com and follow your genealogy. I don't know if anybody's done it yet, but you can trace it all the way back to Adam. All of us. I don't care who you are. We all go back to Adam. So we're all part of this thing called humanity and that, that family there. And so we, we rejoice with those that rejoice and we mourn with those that mourn. We, we don't need to be shutting up our bowels of compassion and say, well, that doesn't affect me. Honey, it does affect us it affects me to look out in the world whether they're in the church or out of the church and see where they are and the things that they are trudging through because they're part of this thing called humanity and God had a greater vision for humanity than what humanity is living up to he had a greater goal than what they are living in They're, they're living below their privileges yes that affects me And furthermore, it affects me then concerning the body of Christ to see people do the same thing within the church, living below their privileges, being bound, being overcome, being being intimidated by the adversary. That affects me. I have compassion. And I stand as a pastor here today. I'm saying, God, what can I do to help the people because we can get through this over it? We can... And so what John relayed in 1 John 3 is a scenario of real life. One has, what's happening here in in verse 17, but whoso hath this world's good, and look now, see if his brother that have need, this is a real life, a real scenario in life. One has a means to meet a need, and the other has a need to be met. One has a means to meet the need and another has a need to be met. And the question then that is posed, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Because God's love cannot be bottled up and contained. God's love. God's love will inevitably flow out of you. God's love. And therefore John can assert and he does in the scripture that if there is no outflow it is evidence that there has been no inflow or there's something hindering it. What does he say? How, how is this possible? How dwelleth the love of God in him? He said they cannot shut up the bowels of compassion if they're loving as God loves If they have that type of spirit of love in their life, compassion is a byproduct of it. And so if they have the love of God flowing in their life, compassion should be flowing out of their life. And if there is no outflow, I'm questioning the inflow or there's a breakdown somewhere among the two. There's something hindered. There must be something that's constricting it in some fashion. Now I'd love to tell you tonight, I'd love to build you up and tell you this, that 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 every time you show compassion, you'll have positive results. I'd love to use that word every. Every time you show compassion, you're gonna have positive results. I'd love to tell you that every time you're compassionate. If you had even considered the story of the prodigal son that came home, the Bible says that the father had compassion on him and ran out to meet him. I'd love to tell you every time that you were compassionate and you were running toward the prodigals that have come back home with repentance on their lips. I would like to tell you that that that's going to be long-lasting, that repentance that they have when they come back home. But I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. But I can tell you as the book of Jude says, has told us all in verses 21-22 Jude admonished the Christians of his age and said keep yourselves in the love of God and he said then in the next verse and of some have compassion making a difference you know what Jude was telling the church of that age he was saying listen here not every time you show compassion will it all end well but not every time you show compassion will it all end bad either and some have compassion making a difference in other words Jude saying compassion is going to make a difference for some Uh uh-huh and so don't get in the mind frame it's all or nothing Because you'll cling to the nothing. If every time it's got to be fruitful, every time there's got to be something that occurs or something that happened because we like the feedback and the trade-off. I gave compassion. There should be some type of exchange. That's not it. Compassion says I'm going to give I'm going to show forth. I'm going to help with the need, even if there's nothing in exchange. And you make yourself vulnerable that maybe it will this time and maybe it won't next time. But I keep, got to do, I got to keep on doing it because somewhere along the way, it will make a difference for some. Amen. Why the apostle Paul whenever he spoke he said I'm, I'm going to become all things to all people so that I can win he didn't say all he said, I'm, I'm going to become all things to all people so I can win some amen he was given all all and he got some and that's the attitude we got to somehow uh, bear up on our own shoulders give it all do it all for the process maybe of just some but some is better than none and so the sequel to love is compassion, but the scope of this compassion in our statement is to every soul. Everybody say every soul. every soul. Said before, and I think this is pretty well, maybe common knowledge, but we don't think of it perhaps much, and that is the existence of most companies, whether it be a, a restaurant, a department store, whatever label you wish to put on it, would probably own the fact that they are in not necessarily the medical business, the fast food business or clothing business, that they are in the people business. And of greater importance than the goods or the services that they render and supply that they serve the people with is the people themselves. Amen? Because in reality, the church existence even goes deeper than just a people business. We're in the soul. Business. Our mission is parallel to the mission that Jesus supported and the one that he died for in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. The Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And so therefore the church should exist for the same purpose that he came to seek. The seeking is the evangelism part of the church. And the saving is more so the discipleship part of the church, which is lost. And the church is in not just the people business, but more particularly the soul business. Because several times in the Old Testament scripture, God referred to that congregation that would gather in the wilderness or in the promised land, the nation of Israel as we know it. He would many times refer to them not just as people but as souls. Luke tells us on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 that there was the addition of 3,000, not people, 3,000 souls. The apostle Paul noted whenever he was on the ship that was destined for shipwreck in Acts chapter 27, he said there were 273 souls that were at stake on this ship that were pending destruction in the water. Peter, whenever he reflected on the flood of Noah's day, he said, wherein eight souls were saved by that ark that was built. And so they weren't just putting numbers on them. I, mean, I know numbers are important. One, one pastor said like this, God devoted a whole book to numbers. You know, Numbers are important, but more important than that are the souls that those numbers represent. Souls that need saving. Souls that need love. Souls that need compassion. And so every, here's the fact, folks, every human being everywhere has a soul. Regardless of their race, regardless of their nationality, we all have a soul. A soul that will live beyond this life forever somewhere. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes that God set the world, literally interpreted everlasting or forever and ever. In other words, God set eternity in man's heart. The soul of man is the eternal part of man. Amen. Amen. When an individual dies, their body will return to the dust from which it originally came through the very creation of Adam. It's going to return to the dust. The body will. But the soul is going to live on. Amen. Everybody doing okay? little boy came to his mother and he said, Mother, is it true that we are made from the dust? And after we die, we go back to the dust? Yes, she replied. Well, he said... I looked under my bed this morning. There's someone either coming or going. You're going to return from which you came. The dust. Genesis 3:19. the Bible says, this is speaking of Adam, the curse that was placed upon him after the fall. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, For dust thou art until dust unto dust shalt thou return." The preacher in Ecclesiastes 12:7, Solomon said, "Then shall the dust return to the earth." What's speaking about? The body, the body's going to return to the earth as it was, and the spirit, literally, the breath, shall return unto God, who? it because remember Adam here he was made from the dust of the earth the Bible says there was a mist that came up from the earth and so there was some some manner of water that was mixed in uh, to this dust and he, he created man with his own hands while he was speaking everything else in existence he took time with his hands and he created man out of the dust of the ground and then the Bible says he breathed the breath of life God did into the nostrils of man and man became a living soul So all these old bodies that you and I, we spend so much time on, (laughs) are just glorified mud balls. That's going to go back to the dust. Amen. It's going to go back to the dust. You know, our, our human bodies, science at least even tells us, made up of materials and minerals that are found on the surface of the ground or the surface of the earth. More particularly, not even from the core of the earth, but from the surface of the earth. Our bodies have oxygen, an abundant element that we're made up out of, and it's in the ground that's on the crust of the earth. 65% of the human body is made of oxygen. Uh, they tell us then another part of our body that is made up uh, of stuff that's found just in the topsoil of the earth is, is hydrogen, about 10%. Uh, 10% is hydrogen. Another thing, carbon, 18% of our bodies. 59 elements in all that are found in the human body are all found in the earth's crust. That's where we're going back to. But the Bible says in Genesis 2, 7, as I said, and the Lord God formed the dust of the ground, man of the dust of the ground, and breathed in his nostrils in the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So in this verse, the breath of life or the breath of God parallels, if you will, a living soul. So that breath or that soul belongs to God. Everything that man is made out of or that is found on the surface of the earth, was created by God when he spoke the earth into existence. So those things that we are made out of, that was made from the dust of the earth, are things that God spoke into existence. But the breath of life, the breath of life that it's speaking of in this episode, was something that came directly from God. And since it came directly from God, it is and was a part of that eternal God and since that breath is a part of the eternal God when we die eternity the eternal part lives on amen that aspect which is the living soul of mankind is going to continue to exist apart from the body that dies and through decomposition goes back to the dust from which it came and so as a church it's not just people not just people, it's souls. Because your personal carcass that's sitting on this pew tonight is somewhere gonna be six feet under the ground somewhere along the line. It's gonna perish. But there is an imperishable man and an imperishable woman that sits upon these pews as well. And so we're loving as God loves and showing compassion, not even so much for the human body of man as it is the eternal part of man that whenever your life is said and done and over that's gonna live for eternity. We're reaching through the body and trying to get a hold of the soul. God saved my soul. My body is not being saved. It's going to be disposed of. But God died on the cross for the souls. Of mankind, He paid the ransom for the souls of mankind. And that's the reason we can stand up here and even the Bible attests to it. We're not here, amen, that God, you know, he died for he died for, for, for the rich or the poor. He, he died for the rich, the poor, whatever your socioeconomic status is. Those that have a hang-up, those presently don't have any hang-ups, those that are Asian, Caucasian, African-American, it does not matter. Why? Because he's reaching through all the external and trying to get a hold of the soul of man and if that is his purpose we need to adopt that as a church i'm reaching for i'm in the soul business i'm in the soul business we got to make contact with the eternal part of mankind the soul business hallelujah here's the issue folks the paradox of the soul is this and that is the soul is incapable of satisfying itself but it's also incapable of thriving without some sense of satisfaction and so people are on a journey when they enter this life for what? Trying to find something that will satisfy the soul. Drugs, alcohol, promiscuous lifestyle, all those things. You know what that is? Man trying to satisfy the longing of his soul. Now here's where the problem arises. They're trying to use temporal things. To satisfy an eternal part of them. A temporal thing cannot satisfy an eternal substance. The only thing that can satisfy the eternal is something that is likewise tied to eternity. Mm. And so you can search the whole world over and you can you can go for for everything that is offered and try to to long and yearn for that sense of satisfaction because that's what your soul does. It's incapable of living without having that sense of satisfaction. But it goes down this road and that road and it's dead end. It's dead end. It seems to just work for a moment. But I'm here to tell everybody sitting among me here tonight that if you ever find God, if you ever get born again of the water and of the Spirit, you will have found something that can satisfy the eternal power of your being because the God eternal that gave that first breath to Adam is the only thing that can truly satisfy a soul so what's our part then, Brother McGee? I tell you what our part is. Honey, I'm trying to be the best mediator that I am because I see a world that's longing, and searching for satisfaction, and I know the one that can satisfy. And I'm trying to bridge the gap and introduce the satisfaction to those that are in need. help By loving like God loves and showing compassion to every soul. bridge the gap bridge the gap be the church and bridge the gap someone say hallelujah you were made for soul satisfaction you were made for soul satisfaction that's the satisfaction that can be found in the Lord You'll stand with me I'll, I'll come to a close here Psalmist David said in Psalms 42 in verse 1 he said as the heart or the deer if you will panteth after the water brooks so or likewise panteth my soul after thee O God the old course used to be only Jesus can satisfy your soul only he can take a heart and make it whole he'll give you strength you never knew there's love and joy in heaven too only Jesus can satisfy your soul So if I'm on a journey, I come in this world and I'm on a journey to satisfy my soul. It can only be accomplished by God. And so then the, the church, the variable called the church in this equation is this. You've got to step to the plate and help shorten the journey, shorten the trip by reaching out to the souls of mankind. You know what I've heard most part? Brother Fred McGee, you know what I've heard people say in the church that come to God what they call late in life? What I've heard is this. Sister Sheila, you've said it. You know what? I wish I've known about God X number of years earlier. You know what they're telling me with those words? I wish that trip had been shortened that's the purpose of the church help shorten the trip of that journey and their pursuit for what can truly satisfy their soul everything else out here that's temporary is propagating their market system about what it'll do for you how it'll make you feel your worries will be gone, no more troubles then we need to stand tall as the church and let our marketing fall let me tell you, this is the one stop station once you get the Lord, you don't have to try anything else. This is, the, this, this is the perfect match. This is the perfect match. And so our mission then for week number two is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul. Thank you for listening.